You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Today, our guest is Dr. Keith Whittingham, who's a Crummer alum and currently serves as Associate Professor of Sustainable Enterprise and Corporate Social Responsibility. He's also the founder and CEO of Artifacts Cafe. And I'm here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Mark Angelo, MBA 2020, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, and I'm your host, Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. How to be here. Great to be here. In a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with Dr. Keith Whittingham that was broadcast this past April. But before we do that, I'd like to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts on what the audience should listen for. So what do you think, Mark? What should listeners check out in this interview? Uh, I always think it's really interesting where people's lives paths take them um, and what kind of twists and turns happen. And... um, with Dr. Whittingham, uh, a lot of his undergraduate studies, you wouldn't think he would be uh, in that path to where he is now mm-hmm. and even where he is now compared to what he did um, in his master's degree as well. So that's that was my big thing I listened to in that last episode. That's great. Uh, Kyle? Yeah, Dr. Whittingham, uh, he's a guy who cares. Uh, if you've ever had him as a professor, you know he has a very strong passion for environmental sustainability and uh, for what he teaches, and I think that that all carries over very strongly into this interview. Thank you. Um, and I'd like to add, I really enjoyed in this interview uh, hearing about how observation was so important to him as learning as a youth, especially as he was observing his father. Um, and observation is just such a powerful learning tool. Uh, So in the second half of the show today, we're going to have Dr. Whittingham here with our panel to discuss his role as a professor, his career in coffee production, his approach to sustainability, and how we can foster fresh ideas for a thriving world. So please stay tuned for that. But first, we are going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. The next thing you hear will be host J.B. Adams introducing our guest. So let's get started. Today's guest is Dr. Keith Whittingham, Associate Professor of Sustainable Enterprise and Corporate Social Responsibility at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Right now, his research is focused on understanding the discourse around corporate sustainability and sustainable development goals so that we can better understand the ways that corporations can engage in solving major societal challenges. You may be surprised to learn that he holds a PhD not in business, but in electrical engineering from Cornell University. And after completing his PhD, he got his MBA from the Cromer School. Um, Emphasis on after completing his PhD, he got his MBA from the Cromer School. He is also the founder and CEO of Artifacts Cafe, a coffee brand focused on bringing real income to farmers and real impact to their communities. Dr. Keith Whittingham, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's uh, great to be with you today. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your uh, listeners. I'd like to start by asking about your area of expertise. Um, why is sustainability something that's really important right now? Why do you think business leaders should pay attention to it? Well, I think we have an interesting window of opportunity. Back in uh, 2015, the United Nations pulled together a strong and broad group of players from various segments of of the world economy. So governments, municipalities, uh, corporations, nonprofit organizations, NGOs, to ask and answer the question um, of what is the world that we want to be? Right? What kind of world is it that we want to live in in the future? And uh, out of that emerged these 17 sustainable development goals, targets uh, that um, give us a roadmap to start to address major societal challenges and create a global society that, uh, that, that can uh, sustain us going forward well into the future. Um, and business had a major role to play in that. And I think at this point in time, that's really where that window of opportunity is. And we're seeing businesses get more and more engaged. So let's talk about these uh, 17 goals. This was not just a bunch of world leaders sitting around um, doing some wishful thinking. 
there's very specific goals in here that are addressing problems. What are some of the things on the list? For example, goal number one is no poverty. Uh, you can tell it's a little bit tighter defined than, than reduce extreme poverty. The target here for 2030 uh, is, is no poverty. And what do we mean by that? Underlying every one of these 17 broad goals are a number of sub uh, goals and indicators uh, and, uh, and thousands of metrics that roll up into these uh, into these 17 goals but they're really targeted for specificity measurability uh, and they're tracked on a year-by-year -year basis across countries to see how what kind of progress we're making so the un has set these goals as targets and they have ways to measure them and, and so forgive me I, i'm kind of a challenging pragmatist um, who would say, is this realistic? How can you get everyone in the world, you know, to rally around this direction? And, um, and the truth is that the goals uh, have some risk factors associated with them. If we don't act on them, Right. There will be consequences. So, so paint a picture for us. Certainly. Yeah. Well, firstly, I, 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 uh, let me address the maybe misconception uh, that the UN set these goals because the UN has kind of the, sort of been the, the the shepherd of these, but they were very, very intentional about not setting the goals themselves. Mm. They really brought together, these are our goals, right? Okay. They brought together everything from individual citizens to uh, organizations at every level of, 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 of society, right? From the individual all the way up to, to governments and got broad agreement across the, the, the globe on, on these targets and setting these, uh, these targets and advancing towards them. And yeah, there are very, very significant risks. I mean, there's a lot of discussion for example, around, uh, around uh, climate action, which is goal number 13. And uh, the, the, the UN, through its intergovernmental panel on climate change, has, has set some um, targets of where we need to be to start uh, uh, avoiding catastrophic impact to our society due to climate change. So some of these things certainly have a lot of risk. But honestly, they are 17 goals, but they uh, there's no we can't be successful unless all of these are, mm -hmm. uh, are, are, are are achieved or we make significant advances. You can't really address climate action without dealing with um, gender equality, for example. And that's a, well, that sounds like, wow, we're talking about two very, very different things. Uh, we can talk more about the linkage there, but um, all of these are really interconnected at a deep level and we need to find ways to kind of hand in hand, again, across every level of, of our global society, find ways to make incremental and then more and more disruptive advances towards these goals. Okay, so I will invite our listeners um, to go online and just check out United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals uh, if you want to know more about those. And they really are interconnected. But I also want to add, um, this is personal for you because you're the CEO and founder of Artifix Cafe and you're in the coffee industry. So can you provide an illustration for us in the in your world in the coffee industry that sort of spells out the importance of sustainability wow there there are many you know and um as i look across the 17 sdgs there's not any one that i could pick there's several that may look look obvious so i got involved in coffee as a um, really from the standpoint of being in and around coffee growing communities, particularly in rural Costa Rica, and hearing firsthand from farmers about the struggles they were having, making an income in the traditional coffee value chain. Um, and certainly we can talk a whole lot more about that, and that speaks very directly to sustainable development goal number eight, decent work and economic growth. Uh, but their challenges were between, uh, you know, the, the choices they had to make with their very limited income were between improving the yield on their uh, on their farms and uh, and putting food on their tables so you know we're balancing now number number eight with uh, with SDG number two on zero hunger number one on no poverty uh, but it really goes broader than that I was for example just yesterday watching a video on the coffee value chain and its interaction with the broad global ecosystem and one of the things that they kept talking about was just how intertwined um, 
agriculture and coffee as a great example needs to be with uh, with nature so while 15 years ago we were all talking about sun-drenched coffee fields people have realized that no the best way to grow really good quality coffee is with a lot of shade and integrated with nature integrated with the forest and we're starting to see people try to do more and more of that so we're then bringing in like number 15 uh, goal number 15 which is life on land and how do we you know really there's a lot of tremendous amount of interconnection among all of these all of these things and you can't talk about agriculture and forestry without talking about clean water and so you know it goes it goes on all right well you and i could talk about agriculture endlessly because uh i grew up on a farm and um i've seen the transformation just in my lifetime on uh, sustainable agriculture mm -hmm. practices um, and I think we should talk about it more and really, you know, um, sort of develop more specific and concrete plans for American agriculture. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's see if there's a takeaway. What, what would you say is the message to business leaders about sustainability? So we might have business leaders who are not in the coffee industry, but there's a there's a sustainability message for everyone in business. What do you think that should be? I think the message, and I will say it's a message that I see more and more businesses grasping uh, on, on their own realizing, uh, is that at, at the end of the day, if we just think about business the way we traditionally have, you know, um, maximizing our, our, our utility and maximizing shareholder income, if we run out of resources and we run out of, 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 of a market, um, whether it's businesses that are failing or individuals that can no longer consume, we're going to run into a dead end as 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 a business. So the broad takeaway for me is that if we want to continue to do the things that we do as a society, live the way we would like to live, and at the same time see others have the ability to live that way as well, we really need to start to understand fully the impacts uh, on our our. Um, ecological environment as well as our human and social environment and start understanding how can we minimize the negative impacts and how can we leverage our incredible strengths and competitive advantages as businesses to help move the needle in a positive direction on some of those um, uh, environmental and uh, human and societal challenges. So if I may offer an interpretation, um, we're all in this together and we need to listen to each other. Definitely. All right, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is Keith Whittingham's business background. Um, this lets us get to know you and, and sort of understand how you arrived here. So tell us uh, where you were born and raised. Well, I was born actually in the Bronx in New York, um, born to to uh, Jamaican parents um, who had immigrated in the in the mid 50s. And, um, and, I, and I that's it's interesting. I often don't talk too much about that. When people ask me where I'm from, I usually start from the next stage of the story, interestingly enough. I, my response will be I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. But I was born in New York, and um, my family moved to Trinidad and Tobago in the Southern Caribbean when I was two years old. And that was where I really spent all my formative years uh, growing up. So I was doing a little research. Um, Trinidad and Tobago could be considered a small island nation, but it has a very... Uh, proactive approach to its economy um, from my understanding of it. And um, your father is part of that story and he's one of your early business influences. Uh, yes, yeah, definitely. He is, uh, has been a huge influence on me. I mean, he's been my, my I've always said my, um, my, my hero, right? My single greatest hero, you know, I go, who's your favorite superhero? My dad. And so I, I mentioned that we moved when I was two years old from, uh, from New York to Trinidad and Tobago. And my dad, when he got out of uh, school, he went to NYU and then Baruch for his MBA. And he, he was a statistical economist. He studied uh, economics and was a statistical economist with the United Nations. The, um, the UN had an organization called the Economic Commission for Latin America that was based and still is out of Santiago, Chile. But they realized they needed a different kind of understanding of what was happening in the small island nations of the Caribbean. So they decided to open what they called a sub-regional office in Trinidad and Tobago. And they asked the gentleman to head it up. And he was, came, and my dad was the first person that he went to say, hey, would you like to join this team to come down and launch this new 
office within this uh, this UN division, and uh, he um, sees the opportunity. So, so while his role was he was positioned in Trinidad and Tobago, his role was really uh, serving the entire uh, Caribbean and. Um, you know, interfacing with the team in Santiago that was uh, responsible for all of Latin America and the Caribbean, focus being on economic development of these newly independent nations. Did your father set policy or merely influence it? The attempt was to influence it. I mean, I think a lot of the, the uh, so, so their role was almost as external advisors to these small governments, looking at uh, models that had worked in other places in the world and trying to say what, um, needed to be different in the small island nations of the the, the, the recently uh, colonial um, Caribbean. So they, they could only advise, they would have lots of meetings with finance ministers and cultural ministers and all sorts of things, uh, particularly on the finance and economic side of things, but so on. And I spent many, many days kind of looking over my dad's shoulder. He's working on these tables of economic figures from all over the, all over the region. And what lessons would you say that you learned from watching him? I, I learned, a, I'd say a lot of lessons from watching him. Um, I think, you know, I would say maybe one of the most fundamental for me was a, a view of the world that was not limited to one country. So while I, you know, I called Trinidad and Tobago my home because that's, that's where I first knew my heart is probably the, maybe the best way to describe that. Um, I have always kind of thought of myself as more of a pan-Caribbeanist, you know, and that's one thing it certainly has given me was a global perspective on things, certainly at minimum a regional perspective on things, but an openness uh, to beyond any kind of a parochial view. The other thing that I think I learned from him and his experience was that, um, you know, advisors are, are, are not always, you know, welcomed or they're tolerated often, not always welcomed or heeded, and you just have to keep on going, you know, <laughs> because I remember, you know, I think there are a lot of times when they would make, you know, recommendations to, to, Governments, but governments are led by politicians, and their time horizon is often quite a bit shorter, and have other kinds of interests, for better or for worse. And I think understanding how to stay true to to the the, the mission and and the data, uh, and just keep plugging away, even though you know you're often feeling like you're banging your head against the wall. I think those are little things I've picked up, and I will say a lot of this was kind of through the filter as a, as a child and as a teenager of not having a lot of detailed discussions with my dad, but in many years of hindsight, sort of, you know, reinterpreting conversations with him and the things I was watching looking over his shoulder while he was working on at his desk at home and things like that. That's excellent. Uh, our guest is Dr. Keith Whittingham, and we'll, we'll be back in a moment to learn more about his professional journey. Please stay with us. I'm Sarah Neely. I am an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Crummer has enabled me with hands-on real-world experience that has been translated inside and outside the classroom. I'm very excited for not only the rest of my second year here at Crummer, but also in the future and to come back and visit. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm JB Adams. Our guest is Dr. Keith Whittingham, Associate Professor of Sustainable Enterprise and Corporate Social Responsibility at the Crummer School. Now, before the break, uh, we were chatting about sustainability and early business influences. And now we'd like to learn more about how you arrived here. It's what I like to call the making of a professor. So everyone heard me say this in your introduction. You don't have a PhD in business. You have a PhD in electrical engineering and you found your way to business. Um, so that's very intriguing to me. So, so tell me about what you thought you were going to be as a young person and, and what happened along the way. Sure. Um, you know, I've had students often come to me and say, wow, how did you go from, you know, from, from engineering to business? And I went on my path and they're pulling out the notebook and the pen. And I'm like, okay, hold on a second. You, you probably don't want to do it the way I did it. <laughs> um, okay. So, so I, as I said, grew up in Trinidad and Tobago and got honestly a, a, a 
an amazing education. It's one of the things I got took away from from Trinidad and Tobago for sure. I was good in math and science, and people were like, "Oh, you should be an engineer." And I was like, "Great, I'll go to university and be an engineer." And then I was off looking to try to figure out, well, "Okay, what's an engineer?" Uh, I knew it wasn't about driving trains, but then it was a matter of figuring out, okay, what what what's interesting in that space? What well, was kind of kind of neat? And I actually went to Howard University as an undergrad in Washington D.C. and uh, studied. Uh, I, I enrolled in civil engineering and I ended up changing my major, but I was I said, okay, civil engineering dealing with construction and water resources and environmental. And I'm like, okay, it sounds interesting, and that was really where I got started. So I got started getting interested in lasers and uh, semiconductors, and I was like, "Wow, this stuff is cool!" And uh, it just really got me got me going. And I came back and I was like, "Well, how can I? I want to learn more about this." And realized, well, civil engineering wasn't the place to do that. But we had a great department of electrical engineering, and I changed my major, and and that was really my course then through the rest of my undergraduate and uh, and graduate work. But uh, what did you? hope to do with electrical engineering how were you going to change the world did you just thought yeah, you know i'll tell you i was what 19 and i was definitely not thinking about changing the world um i was just like this stuff looks like fun yeah you know and i could barely get my head around it it was challenging to me and uh, you know when i learned how lasers work i was just blown away. I mean, I could not, you know, just like, wow, I've got to soak up more and more of this. So my goal, I'd say, was to learn as much as I could. But honestly, I wasn't thinking about saving the world. I was thinking about uh, more about, wow, this is an exciting field. And, and, you know, I could maybe learn enough to make a contribution to this and ultimately to come back to Howard and teach. Okay. So there was an intention of teaching because my next question was going to be the purpose of getting a PhD is to, at least in your case, well, there to me, there, there are two paths I had. Both of them in, involved learning and sharing that knowledge. So it was either uh, being a research scientist with a, uh, a governmental or a corporate research lab or, uh, or some other kind of think tank like that, at least in, in engineering, or being a uh, faculty member doing research in an academic setting. So in order to do that, you have to get your PhD and you did that. But yeah, you know, so so to do the research piece, I knew I kind of I wanted to do a PhD. And honestly, for me, a lot of it, I wanted to learn. And that was kind of the path to learn. Right? Where can I learn more? So I got to the end of my undergrad and I was like, yeah, by then I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to go to uh, go, go and do a, a PhD. And I spent a little time trying to figure out where to go. But I was really interested in a very specific area of technology that just got me all right and we'll go into details on what it what it was but um i decided there was this professor at cornell that i wanted to go work with so i mean i chose my my uh, my uh, phd program literally by the by the professor that i wanted to go work with and i ended up going to cornell and uh doing entering that phd program and spent five years there and and yeah it was an interesting surprise so cornell is a fantastic place. I mean, it really, really is amazing and the kinds of facilities that we had there and the kind of um, work that we were able to do there was was truly uh, amazing. Um, personally, though, it was a very interesting and challenging time for me. Um, this professor that I wanted to work with was phenomenal in terms of the work that he did. Let's just say that we let's just say we didn't get along all right <laughs> i'll just put it that way we didn't have the greatest relationship and that made my experience at at cornell really really difficult but the other thing though and maybe it was partly through that as a graduate student you work really closely with faculty uh and not just you know i had a committee so i was working not just with my professor but with about four other professors and then i was taking classes with other professors in the department and one of the things I learned, and maybe the thing that was most strikingly put into effect in my life coming through my PhD degree, was I ran as far and as fast as I could from academia. I did not, I did not, if that was what it meant to be a university professor, I wanted nothing to do with it. And I, not even, you know, not even halfway through the program, I was like, you know, forget this, I'm gonna, uh, 
there are really cool things I can do in industry. I had a fellowship from Bell Laboratories, and that's ultimately where I wanted to go work, and and that's what I did. I spent some of my summers there, and but I wanted nothing to do with academia from a standpoint of being a professor. By the time I was done with my five years at Cornell, but uh, you were in industry for a while, and somehow you got enticed to come back. So what changed your mind? Yeah, well, a handful of things, you know. Um, I never lost the desire to learn, okay? And yes, I was in industry working in the semiconductor business, working in an R&D group that was tied to a manufacturing facility here in, in Orlando. And I got to a point where I felt like I needed to learn more. And there were a couple of drivers for that, but I started realizing through some experiences that I was having that there was more to uh the the decision making process than just the you know what made the right engineering decision and that kind of went my appetite to learn a little bit more and i also at the same time through again just the experiences of life as i was going through my 20s realized um that that there was a difference between my reaction to technology and some of the things that I was starting to learn and experience. I remember having an argument with a, a fellow grad student when we were working at, at Bell Laboratories in, in the summer uh, while I was in grad school. And he he challenged me about not being you know, sufficiently passionate about my field because I was, you know, my colleagues were sitting around the lunch table and they're talking about work. Talking, and I was just like, I was interested in exploring other things, talking about other things. And I was highly offended. I'm like, wait a second. You don't know where I've come from. What I've done? How can you tell me I'm not passionate about my field? And years later, not too many years later, I realized, you know what? He was exactly right. One of the things I learned uh, and it's been a huge takeaway for me was the difference between fascination and passion. And I realized my whole life I had been, and I still am fascinated by technology. I still think back to some of the things I did in my PhD thesis, and I'm just still blown away. But I started to realize it was that, that passion was a different thing. And I started to kind of identify and try to identify where my passions lay and start making a decision to kind of pursue those passions. And that's part of what led me back to wanting to learn more and different things. The other thing that happened was that I started looking around the company because I loved my company. I really, really loved uh, the, 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 the team of people at Bell Laboratories is a phenomenal place. It had all kinds of challenges that ultimately led to its demise, but that's another whole business case. But I wanted to stay within the company and look for different kinds of things to do. And I started looking around and decided to take a, a, a job within our HR department. And people thought I was absolutely insane. But my first day on the job, HR reported to a different VP in operations. And my first day on the job, he calls me into his office and says to me, you need to go to Rollins and do your MBA. And I was like, okay, that's, that's different and interesting, but it looks like it would help me learn more about these kinds of things. And um, a few months later, I found myself sitting in Cromer Hall with part of a, a executive MBA class 18. Uh, and uh, that got me back into the classroom, back into learning in a formal environment. But it also gave me an exposure to a faculty that operated very, very differently than what I had previously been exposed to at the uh, in, in uh, at at, uh, at Cornell in my PhD program. And and that really kind of turned that vision around for me. I was really impressed by my colleagues. I was impressed by their passion for teaching. I was impressed by how they worked together. And uh, Cromer is a unique place, as you know. Uh, and um, when the opportunity came sometime after I graduated to join the team, I sort of jumped at it. I turned down a couple other opportunities to, uh, to and said, you know what, I think I'd like to be a part of the team here at Cromer. And initially, it wasn't even in a teaching role. I joined as um, Associate Dean for Operations. My first year and a half, I ran the, the, the staff that ran the, the four, uh, at the time, our, our, our four MBA programs. I didn't know that you had you have lived lifetimes uh, at Crummer, um, so that's fascinating <laughs> to learn. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm one of the few of people who actually has been both, you know, all three of staff, faculty, and student at Crummer. That's that's excellent. Uh, I want to go back to something that you said because uh, I want to get your interpretation. Um, the difference between uh, fascination and passion uh, sounds like it's direction and in other words passion could be fascination plus direction 
Yeah, I think so. And that where I think part of it ties to where that direction comes from. Maybe for me, I think of it more as, you know, whether it's internal or external, right, that direction, but also what what part of of my being is is resonating with whatever I'm engaged in, right? And um, for example, the technology I was studying, so I was growing crystal structures, and yeah, that's another story I tell students, well, you know, I'm, I'm a crystal grower, and that meant something before Breaking Bad, it means something mm -hmm. different now, but uh, I was a crystal grower, uh, and we could grow some amazing structures, and I think that fascinated my, my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, there were some other things that I ran into and learned about that really drew my heart. Hmm. And I think for me, that's probably where that biggest difference is between the fascination and the passion. The, 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 the direction was coming from my heart and not my head. Ah, all right. That helps make sense. Uh, wonderful. Uh, Dr. Whittingham, we're about to wrap up our time together. Uh, is there a message that you would like to share uh, particularly to current or prospective business students? Wow. Um, I would say, you know, if you can identify what it is that you're passionate about, and I think that's, you know, it's so commonly said now that I think it's almost, it's almost more, uh, it's, it's becoming almost, almost cliche, right? Let me rephrase it this way. I, learned when I started investigating that investigating that difference between passion and fascination, I started asking myself a question. And I determined that I never wanted to stop asking myself what I want to be when I grow up. And that's an approach that I take every semester when I start a new, you know, preparing for new classes, when I, you know, look at a new year coming on as I, uh, you know, I'm always trying to think about, you know, be in the present, but be open to a future that could look absolutely nothing like the present or the past. Uh, I think that idea of being open, being open to the possibilities is something that I would encourage people to explore and if I'd had to, you know, leave, leave a takeaway, that would probably be it. Great advice for any one of us. Uh, Dr. Keith Whittingham, thank you so much for joining us here on Crummer Connections and for sharing your story. My pleasure. This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Dr. Keith Whittingham to get his responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You're listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. In today's Crummer Hour, we are starting with Dr. Keith Whittingham. He's a Crummer alumnus who graduated with his MBA in 2001, and he currently serves as Associate Professor of Sustainable Enterprise and Corporate Social Responsibility. And he's also CEO and founder of Artifacts Cafe. In the first half of the show, we heard Dr. Whittingham describe his upbringing in Trinidad and Tobago, his thoughts on the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, his personal career philosophy, how we can differentiate fascination from passion, and his founding of Artifacts Cafe. Now in the second half of the show, we have him here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have him respond to questions that were provided by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Dr. Whittingham, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It is great to be back with you all. It is a pleasure to have you back. Um, and also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Mark Angelo, MBA 2020, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37. And again, I am Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, Dr. Whittingham, welcome again. Um, our first set of questions is about sustainable business. And the first question comes from Mark. Yeah, so 
maybe something that's not uh, more well known in a lot of uh, leadership nowadays in business is uh, design thinking. Human-centered design thinking is another name that we've called it in the past with um, sustainable business practices. Um, we can start there. Is right. what is design thinking or human-centered design thinking as another title? I would say probably the biggest. There are two sides of it that are are pretty. Um, distinct from the way we've typically approached problem solving in business. Uh, the biggest one is, I, I would say, the uh, emphasis on empathy, right? On really saying not just, oh, I've got a, a, a great idea, a great technology, a great process. Uh, I can, you know, I can, I can make a product out of this and meet um, needs, but try to really, really, first of all, fundamentally understand the needs that are out there. And then from that, work through a process that helps us identify the uh, solution. You know, we often approach the question of uh, case analysis, right? Starting from this question of environmental analysis in a very broad way and then filtering down to that ultimate uh, problem statement, right? The defining problem statement that I know mm -hmm. all MBA students will know. But <laughs> I, I, think of, uh, I think of design thinking in a similar kind of approach, except for us, our environmental scan is going to be really trying to understand the user experience with whatever system it is that we're trying to change. And then from that understanding, we start to really identify root problems. And then we begin to, to, to innovate ideas around those uh, addressing those root needs, those fundamental needs, frustrations, angst on the part of the user. Uh, and then that allows us through a process now of, uh, of, 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 of brainstorming other kinds of techniques that let us uh, address problems that are tackling very specific uh, needs on the part of the user, but then really broadly generate lots of ideas, vet those ideas in a team setting. Uh, and and it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a process that really drives to the heart of generating uh, effective user-oriented uh, solutions to challenges. Right. So it's kind of like working backwards in a sense, starting with the user first. Yeah, in a way, right, which makes a lot of sense. In, in, in innovation entrepreneurship, we talk about begin with the why. And, and it's a similar mm. kind of concept, right? And, you know, you want, to, you want to understand, really understand what the user experience is, the customer experience, right? Uh, what are the frustrations, et cetera? Yeah, so in a way, it's, it's working backwards from that standpoint, although it shouldn't be, right? That's where we should really all begin. Right. right? right. Working uh, backwards from the way we have been. Right. <laughs> Nice. Uh, our next question comes from Kyle. Hi, Dr. Whittingham. Hey, uh, is there, hey, <laughs> is there, is there a difference uh, in the approach to sustainability across different regions? So, for example, uh, is there a difference between um, the United States compared to Central America? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there definitely is, right? I mean, we we have to approach. Uh, every situation based on where we are and that is based on where we come from so yes i'd say there certainly is a different approach to how we think about sustainability right the way we uh the way sustainability and and the the the, the whole dialogue and discussion has evolved in our country it has a lot to do with historically where we come from historically where our, our economy and industrial society is coming from that differs as you might imagine if you're in a developing economy that has a a, a different kind of of uh, global relationship in terms of the the economy but these things often you know all, uh, come from a broader even historical perspective right you think about um i think about western europe for example where where they've had a different just as an example a very different type of a population density for their land mass compared to what we have had in in north america so their concept of you know throwing stuff into a landfill has a totally different impact than the way i think historically we've thought about it in north america right so so i think the relationship with the land has been different in different regions of the world the relationship with nature has been different in different parts of the world so with all of that as a backdrop i think it's it's natural to see a difference in the way we think about 
um, sustainability in this broad sense. Uh, what is really, though, important is you mentioned the sustainable development goals is one of the things that I, that I talk about. And that really is an, is an effort to try to universalize some of that discussion, right? To, to, to try to say, look, these are the things that are important to all of us. We've got to figure out how do we uh, exercise that? How do we express that in our own cultures, but moving towards this set of global goals? Because as we can definitely see the solutions are going to take place at a start at a local level, but the impacts are clearly global. So we certainly mm -hmm. all have to be uh, thinking about this through the lens of the same sort of playbook. But we do definitely have to take into account the historical and cultural differences in the way that things are, are, are enacted and, and, and carried out. Sure. Well, it just goes to show, uh, you know, that we should remember that our actions today uh, are going to have some impact on the future. So uh, thank you for that. Our next question is about your role as a small business owner and the founder of Artifacts Cafe. And that comes from Kyle. Dr. Whittingham, you, you touched on this in your uh, previous interview with JB. Um, but I'm curious, what, what sparked your interest to, to break into the coffee industry? Artifacts Cafe stands for Artisanal Farm Works, the name Artifacts, but it was really born out of the experience that I've had over the last 12 years working with students on global sustainability. Um, a, a few, actually 200 plus, uh, Kramer students have had an opportunity to travel to Costa Rica with me and uh, <laughs> we had some representation <laughs> in this group here. Um, <laughs> You uh, can talk about that in a second, uh, Clara. But honestly, for me, so uh, having worked with students, having traveled uh, in rural parts of the coffee growing world, one of the things that I learned fairly early on, you started to see how connected the cultivation and production of coffee was to the development of these small rural communities, right? And the role that it's played uh, and the role that continues to play. And through that process, I started understanding how challenging it was for coffee farmers globally to make a, a livelihood, to actually do coffee farming as a productive way of putting food on their uh, on their on their families' tables, and really, I mean, really challenging to the point where large organizations like Nespresso or you know, and, and another major corporation are realizing that wow, if we continue as we are with the traditional coffee value chain. Coffee is going to get very, very expensive, expensive because supply is going to disappear because literally mm. farmers are walking away from their farms because there is no livelihood in it. And the younger generation wants nothing to do with it because they've watched their parents work hard for decades and decades and decades with absolutely nothing to, to, to show for it. Climate change is exacerbating all those challenges, et cetera. So through some years of seeing that, I mean, I kind of put my, my, my business uh, hat on, said, are there business models that could change this because coffee is a very, very hugely consumed uh, commodity all around the world. Um, but the, the way the value chain was set up put tremendous pressure on the farmers. But could we make changes to that business model that could deliver high quality coffee to consumers and at the same time deliver a livable income to, to farmers and support their communities. And that's really where the, the impetus um, came from. You are listening to Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Crummer professor and alumnus, Dr. Keith Whittingham, and we'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Guy Fagan, an Early Advantage MBA student at the Cromer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Telcap Absalom fraternity, and I was also a member of the varsity men's tennis team. Cromer has an amazing reputation in the area, so it was a no-brainer. For more information on the Cromer Early Advantage MBA program, visit cromer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer professor and alumnus, Dr. Keith Whittingham. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Dr. Whittingham's career. Our next question is about your Crummer experience. 
Um, and actually, we are going to play Crummer Insider Free Association. So I'm going to give you a series of prompts and invite you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Are you ready to play, Dr. Whittingham? <laughs> as ready as I guess I will ever be. <laughs> I know this is the surprise part. <laughs> All right. So I started my Crummer education in the year... 1999. I finished classes and graduated in the year... 2001. My cohort name and number was... EMBA18. There were this many students in my cohort. We started with, I think, 36. Oh, wow. For our international study, we went to... Hong Kong. Oh. The thing that made the greatest impression on me during our trip was... During the trip, you said? Mm -hmm. or, or not during the whole program. The thing that made the greatest impression on me during the trip was the food. The food. <laughs> it uh, connects back to that Trinidad and Tobago story, but that's a long, that's a much longer side conversation. <laughs> um, my favorite course was... Wow, international business. Was that a, uh, was that a chime saying my time was up? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> wow. Uh, they were all they were all amazing. Um, we did a leadership course with uh, with Rick Bommelger. Ooh, uh, like that one. So. Uh, my favorite professor was Claudio Millman. And uh, during the experience, my greatest time management moment or lesson was. Oh my goodness! Greatest time management lesson: how to be a, a, a class leader, shepherding. 35 students through the subways of, of Hong Kong uh, and and get to the meeting on time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That sounds like a trip. That. There's a story <laughs> behind that, too. But... All right. Thank you so much for playing Crummer Insider. Free association with us today. We're going to move on to some more questions about your Crummer experience. Uh, the next question comes from Kyle. Dr. Whittingham, do you have a a teaching philosophy? Uh, what 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 can students expect uh, when when they take a Dr. Whittingham course? You know, I have um, this is interesting. I had three I had three words that were written up on a whiteboard in my uh, in my office for years and years. And once I had a colleague walk in and and uh, looked at that uh, and said and said, "Wow." That's a, that's a three-word teaching philosophy, um, <laughs> and and the three words are inspire, engage, unleash, and I and I would really say that's kind of my my teaching philosophy. Uh, it shows up less in QBA than it does in my my elective classes, but but in in reality, you know, it is the idea. It's kind of like the you start with the why, right? So un, lead students to understand why this stuff is important. Uh, so, so that's kind of the initial piece, inspire. Um, engage, I see learning as a totally interactive uh, process and engage students' minds, engage students' hearts, and, and then unleash, right? Take what we learn early on and, uh, you know, it's kind of like in design thinking, we talk about rapid prototyping, right? So as early as we can in the learning process, let's get out there, let's unleash what we know, unleash whatever, you know, our, our, our engagement into um, driving, uh, driving, driving change in whatever way and getting out there and utilizing it. So I would say that's probably a nice, probably the most concise expression of my teaching philosophy, if you will. I can I can personally attest to that in the courses that I've been in, um, been lucky enough to actually be involved with. Um, it's really refreshing to have an experience where you can openly have those discussions and openly mm -hmm. ask questions at really any time. Our next set of questions is about personal and professional development. And the next question comes from Mark. Yeah, yeah, Dr. William, do you have any book recommendations um, for us right now? By what you're reading? Yeah, well, there are a handful of books that are kind of impacting me right uh, right now. Um, one that's surprising me is I'm listening to Becoming by Michelle Obama. That's a really kind of an interesting perspective on uh, that that I can relate to very significantly about taking the a personal experience and and leveraging that to be more effective in in 
facing the surprises that life brings your way. So those are, that's one thing. But related to business and even personal slash professional development, two books that were recommended to me that I've just started. Um, one is called Essentialism by Greg McCown, which talks about the disciplined pursuit of less. That was um, really interesting for me. And, uh, and the other one is a, a, a kind of also really cool book called Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty, um, who's got some cool podcast stuff out. And, and both of those sort of, um, I, well, the fact that they were recommended to me might say something um, about, about, where, where, uh, about where I am. But it really is about looking at how do you, make sense of all the stuff that's going on in life, right? And, you know, uh, professionally, personally, it can be a lot of different things going on. How do we sift through that? I like the title of the one, Essentialism, right? How do we understand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get get down to what are the fundamentals that we bring to the table? Uh, so, yeah, those are two that are on my mind. Daring Greatly um, uh, is another one that's, um, that's, that's been, been kind of impactful to me as well. Yeah, I don't know if um, like how is this how is that book essentialism kind of blood into your life now? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, right? Um, so it says a dis- the disciplined pursuit of less, and for me, it's not a question of less in terms of of material stuff. It's less in terms of uh, you know of, of uh, from all the things that I am interested in, fascinated about, passionate about. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's saying, okay, how, um, how can I be better at less, right? Not mm-hmm. pull myself or allow myself to get pulled in so many different directions, but focus my energy. And the early parts of the book, which is where I am on that, but that's really where it focuses on this idea of saying, you know, yeah, it's not about being more and more. I could have more impact by having more focused impact and that impact being, being, being um, better in that regard. Uh, um, so yeah, that to me is where I'm thinking when I think about pursuing less, it's like almost pursuing fewer things, but pursuing them way more effectively. So that's kind of the, the, the sort of the, the way I'm looking at this impacting my mindset. Got it. Yeah. Cause I just really easy to like think of, of material things, not um, yeah, yeah. intangible. Right. So right. that was a good clarification. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of fascination and passion, do you have advice for aspiring professionals to help us figure out what we're passionate about versus what we're just fascinated by? You know, I think it comes from experiences, right? I mean, there, there are all kinds of exercises you could do out there to, you know, figure out what, well, there's things like figuring out where your strengths are, but also trying to understand how your personality and interests might relate to particular career fields and things like that. But, but I think the biggest things that I would say in terms of advice and the things that have impacted my life a lot are being open to new experience and new experiences and, and, and to learn, learning from those being open to doing things that are, you know, uh, against the grain, if you will, going against the normal flow. And I walked away from my, you know, R&D job and, you know, in Bell Labs to go work as a PhD electrical engineer to go work in our human resources department. There are literally people who thought I had lost my mind. So my advice on them would be to, you know, there's a line from a song that I love. Okay, my favorite band that, that many of you one of those best known anybody know does any do any of you know my favorite band i'm curious five seconds it would be off my favorite band of all time is rush oh ah, great choice and there is a line from a song that i have walked with for much of my life which is experience to extremes I love that. Jump into the experience and experience it to the extreme, but to the extreme, to the point where you can really understand it and reflect on it and start to parse out some of those kinds of discussions. Wow, that's really helpful. Thank you. Dr. Whittingham, you went to Howard University, which is one of the premier historically black colleges in the U.S. Can you talk to us about that experience? For me, growing up in the Caribbean, Howard was a great choice to to go to. It was actually the only of the HBCs and I, HBCs that I knew about. Um, but Howard has been when I was there. I think we had students from like eighty countries around the world, and we had twelve thousand students, including about at the time about a thousand 
from the Caribbean, from the English-speaking nice. Caribbean, wow. about another wow. thousand from the African continent. And uh, yeah, so it was just a totally different kind of world. Um, Howard was the place where I really grew into being me in a lot of uh, a lot of different ways. And I mean, it's it's a it's a yeah, when I talk about homecoming, I mean, it really was, it's, it's a home, I've been to homecoming for a long time, actually, but it's really where <laughs> I consider my, uh, consider my, my, my home. So no, it was phenomenal. And, and I studied engineering there. We had a, and have a very, very strong engineering school. And what was great for me was that uh, it was a place of, you know, I felt the way, um, Kyla, you described about being at, uh, at, at Cromer, right? I mean, my interaction with my professors, I mean, literally, this was a, this was a place where I felt like I was not just getting an, an, an education, but was being raised by a village. And, uh, and, and it shows, right? Because, I mean, you know, Howard, of course, has, you know, has, has had a number of very, very illustrious um, alumni, um, you know, including, of course, our, our, current, um, our current vice president of our, of our country, um, but also, you know, in every, in every domain, right? But um, what was, for me, phenomenal about being there was when I went to do internships and I was in environments with, you know, students from the top schools from around the country and around the world. I'm working as a, as a summer intern and I'm working side by side with engineering students and science students from Berkeley and MIT and so on, on the MIT campus. And, you know, realizing that I could run with these folks, you know, mm. not, not, and, and, and that was for me the moment when I realized all of what I was getting being at an HBCU and being at a place like Howard, I was being really and thoroughly equipped, you know, to, 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 to run with the, to run with the best. And, 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 but, but it was through this process of the nurturing as well as the, you know, the, 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 the hard academics that, and, and, and rigor there that, you know, was very, very uplifting in, in a lot of ways and set for me, a, a, I think, a strong platform to start to become who I'm becoming. That's awesome. Thank you. We are bringing the session to a close now. And our final question is about your closing message. So what would you like to say to the Crummer community? I would say that we as a community at Crummer, at Rollins, and as a broader community are, are working our way through it, you know, what's been a, a challenging time, right? Um, I feel excited that we've been able to do as much as we've done in the ways that we've done uh, in coming through this, this this pandemic, and I really feel like we've been able to deliver on our mission in a in a broad way. And um, I, I would say, as a as a if there's a if there's a final message, I would say look for the look for the the great takeaways even in the tough times. Uh, because there's always great stuff to, to learn. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd say stay, stay strong. Um, and, and, uh, um, yeah, be experience two extremes, right? <laughs> I tell my, I tell my kids, you know, there's, there's, there are good and bad experiences, but there's only good experience. I'll let that soak in for a bit. Even the bad experiences can be good experience if we learn how to, uh, you know, learn from them and as we, as we live through. So yeah, that'd be part of my closing message. That's wonderful. Sure. Thank you. Um, with that, I want to say Dr. Keith Whittingham, Associate Professor of Sustainable Enterprise and Corporate Social Responsibility and founder and CEO of Artifacts Cafe. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour. My pleasure. It's been so great to be with all of you. Thanks a lot for, for shepherding us through this, Clara. <laughs> um, I'd also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business. So thank you to Mark Angelo and Kyle Sawyer. Thanks for being here, everybody. <laughs> Dr. Wayne, this was fantastic. Uh, yeah, inspire, engage, unleash. I'm going to write that on my, on my whiteboard, on my fridge. Awesome. My new for mantra. Sure. For sure. Good experience. Experience is good experience. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like the show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by Clara Mount and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell and J.B. Adams with sound editing by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College and the entire team at WPRK, as well as Mike Brown and Loveland Finley and Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is Clara Mount, and until next time, Fiat Lux.